We are after. Welcome, hello. We are um, after the Jews have crossed the sea. So that's big news. Jews have crossed the sea. And what happens next? Okay. By Avoyu Elima, Exodus chapter 15, the Jewish people come to a place called Elim. I said Elima. We see that often in the Torah. If you put a little hay at the end, you go from Elim to Elima. The suffix at the end acts as a prefix to Elim or Elim word. They came to Elim. And there they found two, I would say 12 water fountains. Fountains of water. Vishivim Timarim and 70 palms. Rashi will tell us the significance of this number and why the Torah tells us about the number. And they rested there, they encamped over there by the water. Says Rashi, what's the significance of the 12, 12 fountains of water? These correspond to the 12 tribes. These were prepared for them. In other words, it was a miraculous phenomenon that these 12 sources of water were provided for the Jewish people. And Dafka, specifically 12, corresponding to their 12 tribes. And the same with the Shivim Tmarim, the 70 palms that corresponded to the 70 elders. So they had food, the dates, and they had water. Ah, what else do you need? Good deli sandwich, maybe. Verse 1, Vayisume Elim, and now they traveled and journeyed from Elim, and they came Adas Bnei Israel, the whole congregation of Israel came to Midbar Sin, to the desert of Sin. Asher Bein Elim Uvein Sina, which is between Elim and Sinai. When was this? On the 15th day of the second month, after their departure from the land of Egypt. Hamisha Asayim. 15 days to the second month from their leaving of Egypt. So that would be the 15th of Iyar. The month of the Exodus is called Nisan. They left on the 15th of Nisan. So this is a month later in the second month of the year when you count from Nisan on the 15th day. Says Rashi, the day of this encampment is recorded because on that day, the food that they brought with them out of Egypt was depleted. And now they needed the manna. So what does that teach us? So they had food for 30 days. And so what, what food did they have? They had the, the remaining dough or the remaining matzos. They had 61 meals. And the manna fell for them on the 16th of ER, which was a Sunday. And this Rashi tells us is explained in the tractate, Talmudic tractate of Shabbat on page 87b. So they had the food for them from when they left Egypt until the 15th day of ER. That was a big day. Why was it a big day? Because they ran out of food and now they start kvetching.
Verse 2, They didn't come in with a nice request, as Rashi says what they should have done when the first time they started kvetching about the water. They complained. The entire community of the children of Israel complained against Moses and against Aaron in the desert. Why did they complain? Tells Rashi, Because the bread was depleted. The children of Israel said to Moshe and Aaron, If only we had died by the hand of God in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat, Al Sir Habasar, when we ate bread to our fill, Bachleinu Lechem La Soiva. Ah, back in Egypt, that was life, that was good. We were living it up over there. And what did you do? You took us out to this desert, to kill this whole congregation with starvation. This is kind of crazy, though, because it's just the first day. I mean, the first day after they were depleted of their bread, they're already crying that you're killing us. We're so hungry, they're dying over here. Okay. Verse 4, So God says to Moshe, Behold, I will rain upon them. The word matar is rain. So I'm going to rain down upon them bread from the heavens. When we say the blessing on bread, what do we say? The one who brings, produces bread from the earth. And what was this? Not bread from the earth. Not lechem in Lechem in Bread from the heavens. In fact, that was the blessing that they said on the mana. Baruch Hashem, Lehem, so God is telling Moses, this is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to go down. The bread is going to come down from heaven. I'm going to rain down bread from heaven. The, the people will go out. They're going to gather. Devar means a thing. Yoim of a day. The thing of the day. Biyomo on its day. How do they translate it? What is needed for the day? So that I may test them. Will they follow my Torah, my teaching, or not? Let's look at Rashi. What is needed to be for eating on each day, that's what they will collect on each day. And they're not going to collect today for what they need tomorrow. It's a day-by-day thing. There's no storing up of food, even for the very next day. And we'll see, this is a very... We talked about this um, the other night, how this was a very important element to instill the attribute of trust in the Jewish people. Now, how was the giving of the mana going to be a test? Says Rashi, it was a test. Are the Jewish people going to observe and follow the mitzvahs that were connected with the vana, which were namely, that they should not leave anything over 
for the next day. They shouldn't preserve it. Just eat it. And that they should not go out on Shabbos to collect. Will they follow these two rules? Verse 5. And it will be on this day, sixth day of the week, on Friday. When they are preparing what they will bring. Suddenly it's going to be double out there for them to take. It will be double of what they gather every day. Why? Because on Friday you need to prepare for Friday and for Shabbos. Because on Shabbos you're not going to be able to go out to collect. And this, of course, is the source for the idea of having two loaves of bread, two loaves of challah on our Shabbos table on Friday night and Friday day. And by Shabbos Shudas, if you have bread, the third meal, to remind us to, as a commemoration of the double layer, or the double uh, portion of manna that the Jewish people received on Fridays. Well, as Rashi says, for that day and for the next. Says Rashi, I believe. Rashi says, I say. Rashi gives basically her two interpretations. The way I explain the verse is the first way, which is that there's going to be a, there's going to be available out there for them to be able to gather double of what they normally gather. But Rashi then gives his own interpretation. For Omarani and I say that what they will bring it will be double, and it fits with the closer with the Hebrew, which says Vehoya Mishnah. It will be double, meaning that after they bring in the mana. And then they measure it, they're going to find that it was double of what they gathered and measured every day. So the miracle will be that even though they only gathered one portion, actually it's going to be double. Verse 6, say to the Jewish people, Erev, in the evening, you will know, Ki Hashem that the Lord took you out of Egypt. Ah, didn't they know that before? Let's see Rashi. <laughs> you, the Jewish people, if we look back at what they said in verse 3, they said, you, Moshe and Aaron, you brought us out of Egypt. They were blaming them. So Moshe and Aaron are telling them now that with this miracle of the manna, you're going to know that we're not the ones who brought you out of Egypt. It was God who brought you out, brought you out, for He will cause the quail to fly to you. And in the morning, you're going to see the glory of the Lord. He heard your complaints against the Lord. Well, the question there is: they didn't complain against the Lord; they complained against Moses and Aaron. Perhaps Rashi will address that. V'nachnu ma. And who are we? V'nachnu ma. Moshe and Aaron say about themselves. V'nachnu and us. Ma. Ma. What are we? Kisalinu aleinu. That you should make the people complain against us. Rashi tells us there were two things going to happen over here. Number one, the Jewish people were going to get meat. Because if we look back at what they complained about in verse 3, they said... We had meat back in Egypt. 
and they had bread. They first asked, they first could, were kvetching that we were sitting on the pots of meat when we ate our bread to fill. So God is going to provide them with meat and he's going to provide them with bread. But Rashi makes a distinction, well, points out a distinction, that the meat, asking for meat, was shaloi kehoigen. It wasn't proper that they asked for meat. Bread, on the other hand, which is something that they really needed, that was something that was that was uh, something that was proper to ask, and therefore, the meat was sent to them. Achloi beponim irais was not sent with a smiling countenance. The bread, on the other hand, which was asked for, it was proper to ask for bread. It was sent in a different way. It was sent in a way of affection, in the morning. So God brings it to the Jewish people lovingly in the morning when there's time to prepare it and with do over it and do under it as if it was lying in a box. Kimunach bekupsa. The meat, on the other hand, comes to them in the evening. So those are, these are the two verses. If we look back at this, it says, Erev, in the evening you will know that the Lord took you out of Egypt with the coming of the quail, the meat, which they had asked him properly for, therefore it came at night, which not as comfortable. Uboiker, this is verse seven. In the morning, then you're going to see the glory of God, and this is so. This is saying that it's going to come in a loving way, with God's smiling face, so to speak, because it's talking about the manna, the bread. Rashi tells us, of what importance are we that you're complaining to us? What did they? What did Moshe and mean when he said, "You're getting other people to complain against us"? It says Rashi explains that the people were getting their children and their wives, their sons, their wives, their daughters, the erev rav, the multitude of people who came along with the Jewish people out of Egypt. Verse 8, Moshe says, When God will give you this evening meat to eat, and bread in the morning for satiation to become sated, as God heard your complaints that you are complaining against Him, and who are we? What are we? What importance are we? Not against us are your complaints, but against the Lord. Rashi here again points out the distinction between meat and bread. So if we look back at the verse, it says, Basar lehol, meat to eat, belechem lisboya, and bread to be sated, says Rashi. But the meat was not to be sated. And the Torah here is telling us, teaching us a a proper way of behaving called derech eretz she'ein oichlim One should not eat meat to a point of satiety. Don't eat until you're you're stuffed when you eat meat. You eat meat, you eat, have you have some meat. Bread, on the other hand, you should eat till you're full. Now Rashi asks, why does God bring the bread in the morning and the meat in the evening? 
person cannot live without bread. So it was so it was proper to ask for bread. But the meat they're asking for is not appropriate. They had many animals that they could have slaughtered. Furthermore, so they could live without meat. Therefore, they gave, he gave it to them in the evening when it was burdensome for them to prepare it at an inappropriate time. Rashi pretty much says a similar thing earlier. So, it's a good question what's happening over there with the two Rashis. Verse 9, says to Aaron, Say to the congregation of the children of Israel, Draw near before the Lord, for God has heard your complaints. So where exactly are they supposed to draw close? To the place where the cloud has descended. Verse 10, It came to pass when Aaron spoke to the entire community of the children of Israel that they turned toward the desert and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. In the cloud, of course, has a different meaning for us these days. But in the olden days, it actually meant a cloud. Verse 11, now we're on to tomorrow's. God said to Moshe, saying, I heard the complaints of the children of Israel. This is a phrase that keeps repeating itself. God hears their complaints. Speak to them, saying, in the evening, in the afternoon, I'm sorry, in the afternoon, you're going to eat meat. And in the morning, you're going to be sated with bread. Again, repeating this idea of bread as a satiation. And you will know that the, I am the Lord your God. And it happened in the evening. The slav, the quails, arose. So this is interesting, because in the first, in verse 12 it says, in the afternoon you shall eat meat, but then it's, it says in the evening. It's a good question. So the quail arises and covers the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. Rashi tells us, what is the slav? What is this? Well, we translate it as quail. He describes it as min oif. It's a type of bird. Vishomain ma'oid is very fatty. Tzemach Tzedek explains, according to Hasidus, that it represents understanding something that is fatty it has that's very tasty represents a mode of of uh, connection with god that contains understanding the reason you understand the reasons for things that's what that's what the slav represents she says from here we derive that there was a layer of dew below the mana and a layer of dew that came upon the mana. So it was as if stored in a box. And this also we commemorate every Shabbos. The way we put the bread, we don't put it directly on the table. We have something under it, like a challah board, a cutting board, some kind of a plate. And we also put a cloth on top of it, the challah cover, which usually you say the reason that we have to cover the challah is so that Shouldn't it be upset that we're making Kiddush on the wine first before we get to the bread? But it's also this idea that it has to be 
covered on top and, and has a layer on the bottom because it is reminiscent of the mana and that's how the mana was presented. 14, this loving, again, as Rashi described it, the mana, even though it came after a complaint of the Jewish people, because it was an appropriate request, it was given in a very loving way to the Jewish people. Part of that was the way that it was presented. Right? When you want to give a gift, presentation is a big part of it. Atal, sheikh vasatal, the layer of do went up. On the surface of the desert, a fine beer sustenance. As fine as frost on the ground. Rashi tells us when the sun shines, the tal, the dew, rises up. The dew that was on top covering the mana rose up towards the sun. Which is the way of dew that it, that it rises towards the sun. Rashi tells us a science experiment that you can try at home. If you will fill an eggshell with dew and close up the hole and put it in the sun, it's going to, to, it's going to, to rise. Anyone ever tried this experiment? Let us know. If you try it, please let us know. Rabbis whoever explained that the dew would rise from the earth into the air, and when the layer of dew rose, the mana was revealed, and they saw him hold the surface of the desert. Verse 15, So the Jewish people saw this, And one man said to his fellow, to his brother, Manhu, it is mana. Manhu, it is man. Because they didn't know what it was. So they couldn't give it a name, so they just called it man. Man means like a preparation of food. You have that in Purim. What is the gifts that we send, the gifts of food that we send to our, our fellows? We call it Mishloach Manot. Or in colloquial, Shalach Mones. So the word mana means like a portion or a prepared portion of, of, of food. So they didn't have any name for it, so they called it a prepare, a preparation of food. A portion of food. Achonas mazinu. Ki lo yadumau. They didn't know what, it, they didn't have a name for it. Verse 16. This is the thing that God commanded. Gather from it each person according to his eating capacity. An omer for each person. Gulgoilus literally is like a, a head, one per head. According to the number of people, each one for those in his tent, you shall take. So, as Rashi explains, according to how many people you have in, in your house, in your household, in your tent, that's how much you should take. All the Jewish people did that and they gathered. There were those who gathered a lot, there were those who gathered a little. But when they came home, says Rashi, and they measured their Omer, they took out their measuring cups, whatever they had gathered, they discovered. Somebody who gathered a lot, did not have any more. Then an Omer per person that was in his tent. And the person who took little, he didn't find less than an Omer per person in his tent. 
וזהו נס גדול. This is the great miracle. שנעשה בוי, that was done, that occurred with the manna. So the fact that it came down from heaven, eh, new, happens all the time. But the fact that they measured it, no matter what they gathered, it was an omer for each one. Wow, that's a nice gadol. Verse 18, they measured the omer, and here the verse is telling us what Rashi just told us. Exactly what Rashi said. Why does Rashi tell us what the verse itself says? Good question. Now Moshe gives him an instruction. Man, do not leave any of it until morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. What do you know? And there were those men who left over till morning. It bred worms. Tolaim are worms. Vayivash became putrid. Had this verse back, this word back with the frogs. Moshe became angry with them. With them. Now, who are the Anashim that there were men who left over until morning? Rashi tells us it's two men, Doson Vaviram, the same two characters who were fighting with each other when Moshe was still in Egypt before he ran away, and he he rebuked them. And one was going to strike the other. That was Dasan Aviram, and they were the ones who told Pharaoh that he is the one who killed the Egyptian taskmaster. So they were troublemakers. Verse 21, They gathered it morning by morning, each one according to his eating capacity. When the sun grew hot, it melted. So the mana that was left out in the field, as Rashi explains, that was not gathered, that melted, and it turned into streams. And the gazelles, the deer... We're drinking from these streams. And the nations of the world would hunt some of these animals and they take a bite out of these deer or gazelles that were drinking from the mana stream. They say, wow. They tasted in them the flavor of mana and they knew how great the Jewish people are. So another miracle with the mana. We'll go one more verse and, and pause for... Station identification. was on the sixth day. They gathered lechem mishneh. This is actually the phrase that we refer to the the double loaves that we have on Shabbat. It's called lechem mishneh. Shnei ha'omer le'echad. Two portions for each person. All the princes of the community came and reported it to Moshe. So mishneh. What is the word mishneh? has to do with the word Shani too. Mishnah means double. So Rashi says that when they when they go, went and measured, as he told us earlier, when they went and measured what they had gathered, they found double Shnei two omers for each person. That's the word Mishnah. Rashi then cites a Midrash that says, Lecha Mishnah Mishuneh. That the word Mishnah has to do with the word Mishuneh, which means strange or different, I should say. Different. So not only was it double, but it was different. It was mishuneh. It was different that day in how it smelled and how it tasted. Obviously, in honor of Shabbos, it had a special flavor and a special taste. So lechem mishneh is two things. Number one, it was double. 
And number two, it was mishuneh, it was different. Have that in the Megillah. V'keilim, v'keilim shonim. Keilim, v'keilim shonim. That at the feast of Achashverosh, he put out vessels. Keilim, v'keilim shonim. According to one of the interpretations of shonim is that it was, they were mishuneh, they were different. So now the verse tells us something interesting, that the leaders of the Jewish people, they come to Moshe and they tell him about this, what happened. And they asked him, says Rashi, why is today different than, than, than any other? Says Rashi, from here we can derive, we can infer that Moshe had not told them about Shabbos. That God had said to Moshe, what's going to happen on Friday? He didn't tell them. Until they asked about it. And then he says, this is what God said, told me to tell you. And Moshe was punished for this, for holding on to the information. How was Moshe punished? God said to him, how long will you refuse to observe my commandments? And he's speaking to Moshe, but he's speaking about the Jewish people. But he, he says you, and he's including Moshe. So in saying this, God doesn't exclude Moshe from the general community of sinners. We'll pause there and open it up for questions and or comments. Es wird doch sein, Bronfinoder, Feina Bein Kelischkeyarein. That's a Yiddish song. Hillel, how much of that did you get? You're on mute. Hillel, you're on mute. Was Zolman's organ? Some good drink will go in, in your cup, you know. You know. You're going to have a good time. Was Zolman's organ? Was Zolman's organ? What does it mean? What are you going to say? Was organ? Why should we worry? Zorgen is worry. Was Zolman's organ? Was wird sein morgen? What will be tomorrow? Tomorrow. As der Schenker wird uns borgen. Borgen is to, to borrow. We'll yeah. be able to borrow. As wird doch sein, Bronfin oder Wein. It will be Bronfin, which is... Vodka. Vodka. Spirits. Oder Wein. Or wine. A bin Kelishkarein. It will go into the cup. It's yeah. Bronfin or Wein. A bin Kelishkarein. A bin Rein in there, yeah. Eva Zolmen Zorgin, was wird sein, Morgin, as der Schenker wird uns borg. Hasidim don't sing songs about drinking. They don't sing drinking songs. They do, that, uh, sorry, they do sing drinking songs, but they don't sing about drinking. Because this is all metaphors. Another drinking song that Hasidim sing, which is in, in Ukrainian. That even if you don't know speak Ukrainian, you know what it's talking about. Yeah. So that one is also Nezhoritsi Chlopsi. Friends, don't be afraid. Don't be worried. Shtos Nami is what will be with us. We're going to go to the inn, to the Kretschme, and there's going to be vodka over there. 
So these were all, you know, drinking, they were drinking songs. And the Hasidim heard these and they would transform them to a deeper meaning. You know, the, the idea that you, we don't have anything, but if you have some bronfin or the vine, if you study some Torah, doesn't matter what kind of Torah, if it's this type of Torah, that type of Torah, this part of Torah, that part of Torah, they will give you joy. So even if you have nothing, right, it said that about the guy who was, uh, you know, the guy who had the drink. He said, with this little bottle, I, I, I own the whole, the whole city. I own the whole city. So with a little bit of Torah, you own the whole, the whole city. And the other one, is the meaning of that one was, you know, we're all on the path. We're all on the path. We're all on a journey. The, the world is on a journey. But we, when we get there, when we get there, tell me what Kabudit there we're going to have, we're going to have um, the revelation, divine revelation. So that keeps us going. Just as the people traveling and it's cold and it's uncomfortable, but they know when they get to the Kretschmer, they're going to sit around the fire and they're going to have a drink together. Non-alcoholic. Doesn't have to be alcohol. And when they get there, it's going to be uh, that gives that keeps them warm on the way. Keeps them warm on the way. So why I started singing this song tonight, I can't tell you. It just came out. <laughs> I wanted to make a comment. Um, how easy it is, um, as it was, for uh, the Jews to forget the miracles. I mean, God provided miracles and parting the and see it reads and saving it from hopeless. And so they could get to the problem where as soon as the food runs out, they're trying to go back, you know, because I have to get, you know, you know, we were better in Egypt. These miracles were so amazing. How could it be forgotten so quickly? That is a great question. That's a great question. They are, yeah. And um, even, after, even after they forgot, Still came back and said, they will give you the money, they will give you the money, they will give you the money. Right, for Shabbos. <laughs> of those endless patience. <laughs> yeah. Well, the people are young, you know, they've, they, they've been through some tough times. And uh, this, is, this is a maturity. God warns Moshe. He tells him before he gives him the job, before he takes on the job, he says... You know, these are young kids. You have to be very patient with them. Mm-hmm. Got to be very patient with them. Um, is it? But it's an excellent point. It, it seems, yeah, I mean, of course, there's a psychological insight of the human nature that, um, you know, we forget. We do forget. But I think it's also in a particular situation of, of where they were coming from. Sorry, Sean, go ahead. I jumped. No, no, my apologies. Um, no, it just seemed to occur to me that they get used to this being the norm, that they just have this miracle show up, and it starts showing up every day, and that becomes their norm, just like when Noah had the animals on the ark for that period of time, and it was like probably horrible in there, and, and God said, if they don't come out, you got to go get them and take them out. And people get settled into this norm, and they can, sh- in the, whether it's good or bad, 
They get settled into whatever that is. And it doesn't seem like a miracle anymore, I guess. I mean, even the miracle of the ark. Um, right. I don't, right. You forget your gratitude, I guess, unless you are, you know, you have to work at that. Right. Constantly <clears throat> remind yourself to be appreciative. I, I think that you should ask with what the soul said that what is a miracle? The miracle that what happens only once. If you know, like sun raises every day, it is a miracle if only once raises, but if it's every day, you know, mm. stops to be a miracle, you know, that's uh, it's like the same thing with manna, you know, it's uh, anything that's in our life is a miracle if you think about it, but because we're getting used to that, it's not a miracle anymore. Yeah. 100%. I heard the difference between Nate, the natural occurrence and a miracle is frequency. That's right. Mm. Um, do you suppose you know we in our prayers and our giving thanks we're supposed to move our lips or somewhat do it out loud and I imagine if you're alone and you're not bothering anybody you could do it out loud I find that when I am able to speak what I'm thankful for it makes it more relevant i don't know if that's the right word it makes it more impactful impactful and awe-inspiring like you know thank you for the food and sitting at my table and the lights coming on and all these things that are just nothing but when you say them out loud you're like wow you know that we get to drive one car to pick up the other car <laughs> you know and all of that right <laughs> and these things are just considered the norm and so in saying it out loud i find i don't know it feels more it's an excellent point uh we do have this idea in judaism in jewish law that we have to say things we have to actually verbalize them and not just think them so prayer is a perfect example we have the prayer book but you can't just look at the words and read them and think about them you actually have to say them course the Amidah you're supposed to see very quietly you don't want to disturb anybody else and also it's a time of absolute humility so even if you're praying alone you do it quietly but the rest of the prayers as long as you're not disturbing anybody the louder the better because <laughs> I'd say this as a little bit as a joke but there is a, a particular sect of Hasidim they're known as the Kar Stalin Karlin so they come from a place back in Europe called Karlin or Stalin and their custom is to yell the davening at the top of their lungs I remember when I was in Tzvat back in in uh, 98 I think 1998 previous century um, I, what, there was one shul a Karlin Stalin shul that I used to once walked by or more than once on Friday night and you hear them yelling the davening it's interesting and that's their custom obviously it's not not a universal custom but there's this idea the phrase that says koil kol which means the voice meorer hakavana awakens the focus or attention in other words a person could be reading the prayers and maybe he's not even paying attention at all this is even enunciating the words. But if you use your voice, if you project what you're saying, 
Instead of just saying Ashrei Yeshu, it awakens your kavana. Now, the Friedrich Rebbe mentions that. However, in other places it says davening is not singing, or davening is not. Uh, in other words, you could also get caught up, caught up in the voice. So, you need to you need the voice to awaken the kavana, the attention and the and the intention. However, it shouldn't be um, a distraction. So it could be that maybe that starts, you know, gets you going, and then you don't need the, the voice per se. But you definitely have to articulate the words. Uh, we have that in Torah as well. That when you study Torah, also you can't just you can't just read it from the book with your eyes, even though it's great, you're getting great information. But the mitzvah of studying Torah, to fulfill the mitzvah of studying Torah, you have to enunciate the words. That's the mitzvah. And we say the blessing in the morning. We say, Blessed are you, Lord our God, who sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us regarding matters of Torah, divri seir, which is matters of Torah, but also words, words of Torah. That, you know, we're saying words of Torah. And, you know, in the morning before you've washed your hands, if you're you're stuck somewhere where you haven't, can't wash your hands, you're allowed to think Torah because you're not doing the mitzvah of Torah. But to actually say the words, you need to have said the blessing because that's the mitzvah. Um, so yeah, we definitely have this idea of enunciating words. This also has to, so just by human nature, without getting into anything mystical or spiritual, human nature is when you say something, that's 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 the way God created us, that there's a power in words. Uh, the Rebbe Rashab talks about this in one of his Ma'amarim, one of his Hasidic discourses, that if a person is angry, you know, they used to say back in... Um, the 70s, if you're angry, don't hold it in, you know, say how you feel. Now they said, you know, count to 10. Um, don't don't yell when you're angry because it makes you angrier. You know, talk about it when you're not angry. So that the, the Rebbe Rashab wrote that in a, in a discourse from Tof Reish Nun Tes, which is um, 1899. 1899, he wrote in a discourse, person is angry, should not speak, because the speaking will intensify your emotion. And so if you're angry and you speak, you're going to get angrier. So wait till you're calm, and then you address the situation. Unless it's, of course, an emergency, etc., etc. But he said all the same thing is on the positive side, that if you have a positive emotion of love, if you express your love with words, that is going to intensify the love and so we show them what you're saying gratitude if you just think grateful thoughts okay that's nice but if you enunciate them if you articulate them verbally that's going to make you feel even more grateful and finally you triggered a lot of thoughts there sean so i apologize for going on for too long but one of the things that you reminded me of is the breslov chasidim the chasidim of breslov they also have a custom relating to speaking is that they have a custom of speaking to God like you described. In other words, not just speaking to God with the words of prayer three times a day, which everybody does, but rather going out into the forest or any private place where they could just have a conversation and talk in their own words, in their own in English or whatever language they're com most comfortable with, not as an official prayer, but just talking to God. And this... It's also it's a certain style of, of um, 
connecting with God that you find particularly with the breast of Hasidim, but in general you, you hear that um, different different Jews will talk, will do that, people will do that, just speak to God. Yeah. <laughs> right. Can, can I add one thing to that that is um, more of a subtle uh, thing that I might have noticed? And so my question is, do you ever notice? Um, you meaning the rest of the group, obviously, Rabbi, you're part of the rest of the group, um, or we're part of your group, but either way. Um, there's a subtlety, a difference in reading, say, the morning blessing I feel like I learn something and I'm reading the same thing every day, but there's something there's each day is brand new and there's a new perspective and there you get, you can, I feel like I learn like this morning felt extra educational, if you will, <laughs> you know, and I'm reading the same words. Right. And then the second thing is every once in a while, I'll feel like there's a literal vibration in saying the words out loud that it like, reverberates with Hashem or something. I don't know. And I don't know if anybody ever else gets that. I don't know if it's... Well, never happened to me, but I'll open it up to the rest of the crowd. I think what, <clears throat> I think what touched on is the grace of our consciousness. I think you, you mentioned that, Rabbi, that, that it brings our consciousness up to state of this. Otherwise, we can say, my God, my consciousness today is upset. When you're actually saying them saying the Petra, it raises your consciousness. It's like raising Beautiful. your vibration or something. I don't. I, I felt it, and it's these, and it's not always, but there's sometimes when I just make this very powerful connection. It feels like, um, and it feels like an, you're vibrating in a real positive way, right? Um, and it energizes you. It feels like it energizes me, and. Um, so that's what made me ask, and if that's part of just speaking out loud, I don't know. That's fantastic. Very good. Okay, anybody have, else have a comment quickly as we are running late? Go ahead, Carrie. Uh, I have a comment and a question. I'll try to be brief, and I also apologize in advance because it's beautiful that this is a non-political forum, but my comment is a quasi-political comment which is um, when we were reading that um, each person gets as much as they need, it almost sounds like communist utopia, you know, to every person what they need. So that was one thought. And then my question was about Derek Eretz. Like, what, what exactly is Derek Eretz? You mentioned it earlier. Okay, so I'll, I'll leave the, the, the first question. I'll leave that one. Let me think about that. I'll go for the easy one, Derek Eretz. What is Derek Eretz? Um, Derek Eretz literally means the way of the land. So what I think that means is, so there is an expression in Pirkei Avot, which says, Derek Eretz Kadma La Torah. This was a phrase that we had in elementary school. They would hang different phrases on the on the walls. Derech Eretz Derech Eretz means proper behavior. In other words, and that precedes the Torah. Proper behavior precedes the Torah. In other words, the Torah 
is starting where already you're a mensch. You already act like a mensch. Now you're getting to Torah. You're going, you're refining yourself even further. You're, you're entering a state of sanctity, etc., etc. But first you have to be, you don't have to wait, but you should already be with Derech Eretz. And that's one way of explaining Derech Eretz. There's another way to explain Derech Eretz that it is the way of the land that you have to you have to earn a living for example you need to have um, you know you need to have that says main kemach in right you don't have if you don't have bread you don't have torah you can't you can't sustain yourself you can't study torah so but but generally derech eretz is derech eretz is proper etiquette um, the way that people behave in a social in a society where they have to get along with each other, that's derech eretz. It's called the way of the land, the way the people act, the way, the way they should act, actually. Sure. I think it's a communist utopian idea. It's it's the state that's providing everything for the, for the people, and that's why it doesn't work. It's not God. It's the state. The state's never going to be God, and it doesn't work. Excellent. Okay, we we can pick it up again tomorrow. That the question of of uh, that Carrie raised. Thank you all for joining us. This has been amazing. I hope you like the new time slot of seven thirty, and we'll look forward to seeing you again next week, Sunday evening, seven thirty, and we're going to be doing Talmud. This is new, Sunday evening Talmud, seven thirty p.m. <laughs>